And I think if you have this concept of going full in in your life, then that's really satisfying. Even if, if it, it doesn't work, if, even if it's a failure, if, even if, if you break down, <laughs> dying will be the ultimate breakdown anyway. And we will face that. But the question is, what, what did you do before breaking down, before dying? And that's what counts. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Liminal Space. Today, I'm in discussion with Mark Hauser. Mark is a Swiss skydiver, adventurer, and entrepreneur. He holds the world record for the fastest horizontal freefall, traveling at 304 kilometers an hour without wings and without a tailwind. And he's the first person to skydive into the jet stream, a high altitude, fast flowing air current in the atmosphere, which is believed to contain 20 times the energy needed for all of humanity. This was captured in the documentary, Chasing the Jet Stream, and his adventure was used to bring attention to the potential of the jet stream as an alternative energy source. Mark is also a motivational speaker, inspiring people to face their fears. So it's a big pleasure to welcome Mark Hauser to Illuminal Space. Hi, Mark. Hi, David. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Ah, oh, pleasure. Um, I know we've got builders next door to you, so we, we have a, a window of uh, some time. So let's let's. Yeah, we have it. to hurry up because in Swiss, Switzerland they are always eating fast to work fast. <laughs> <laughs> so my understanding is, even though you spend so much of your life or so much of your time at high altitudes, jumping out of aeroplanes, jumping out of hot air balloons, skydiving, and moving at these absolutely extraordinary um, speeds you're scared of heights is that right yeah i still am uh, so the the initial idea was to overcome this fear but it never worked out so it, it, it's it's a complete failure and uh, i'm still scared i'm still scared of many things but uh, i'm still scared of heights as well so if, if i have to climb up a tree uh, it's it's still hard for me yeah so i would imagine the easiest thing for you to do is to not like if you have this fear is to not face it or what are you doing with this fear doing the opposite yeah yeah you, you know the problem was i i, I was raised in a, in a, a kind of a skyscraper swiss skyscraper so it's 16 floors it's not not really high but for me it was high and uh, so i had to to deal with this fear anyway so i couldn't i couldn't not uh, just avoid it and maybe that was the beginning of um, confronting myself with my with my fears on a daily basis because when i was uh, getting out on the balcony I, I was confronted with that fear i couldn't just avoid it but it hasn't you still every time you go up and you do this you still you say you're still scared of heights are you embracing your fear rather than trying to defeat it yeah i try to embrace the fear usually it doesn't work as well so, so i'm really struggling i'm still struggling with my fears but it, it's not only a fear of heights it's also a fear of losing control a fear of uh, dying at the end and uh, especially when i enter a plane when i get into the plane and there's another pilot flying this machine which is a smart thing because i would not know how to fly the, the thing but i'm still stressed because i think it would be better to have me in the cockpit as well which is not true at all, but I still have this, this feeling I should be in control a bit. And my understanding is you're also sort of using your experiences to talk to people about um, confronting their fears as well or, or embracing them and using them in their lives. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, exactly. I think we have this misconcept of uh, overcoming fear. So we think that we have, we have to wait until we are ready for something. And I'm, I'm sure that's not true. You can just go into one direction, even with your fears, even with all your fears. And you will see that it's still possible to embrace a fear, to just be brave. And that's, that's the, I think that's the core of being brave, doing things while you are scared and not to wait until you are absolutely 100% uh, perfect and ready to go, because that moment never, never uh, appears in life. In my own life, I've been thinking a lot about, or in my documentary filmmaking, sometimes I put myself in risky situations. Mm -hmm. And there is a, two words that, that people sometimes use interchangeably, but I think there's a slight difference. And maybe I ask you to be strong and strength and bravery. Are they the same thing for you or do you see something different between strength and bravery? I'm not sure. I think it's a mixture. It's a mixture. Um, I think you can 
be stressed out at any level. You can observe your own heartbeat. You can see, uh, feel how you, you start sweating and you can feel how you're really stressed out. But still you can have this capacity of just going your way because that was the plan. That was the initial plan. And maybe it's hard to follow that route, but as soon as you are... Um, as you are clear about what, what is happening, you can observe yourself and you can say, okay, now the heartbeat is re rising again and um, I'm feeling terrible now. But that's part of the game. And I think that's, um, that's the real bravery to, to, to see the situation as, as from a camera position from above. And you see, okay, that's what ha what's happening now. And it makes usually it makes sense to be scared of situations because in, in your case as well, if it's scary, you should be scared. Uh, everything else would be kind of stupid as well, just to go in a, in a war zone or in a, in a conflict area or in a uh, dangerous place and in the jungle. Is that, you should be a bit scared. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I find it really interesting. I've been um, discovering a lot of Mike Tyson in the past months and years actually mm -hmm. and he's done a total change in his life and he has his own podcast and he's going through his own transformation um, and you can actually witness it in real time and he talks about what it was like to be Mike Tyson to be mm -hmm. the uh, most feared man in the world yeah. and he says something continually that is sort of the opposite of what I thought in that every time he walks into the ring he was absolutely frightened and he used fear. He needed fear to actually propel him to excellence in, in some way. And my thought would be that most of us actually like run away when we're scared or from, from something fearful. What, are the, what benefits has that brought to your life to actually embrace this fear? Yeah, I'm sure that if you constantly run away from danger and from fear, uh, then you're you're on a chase. Uh, so you're chased by everything in life, and so uh, one day you have to face your uh, face these fears. You have to face the danger, and I think that's a kind of freedom because then you see it's it's really liberating because then you see there's nothing that could really harm me, even if now the police would. Uh, break in my door would, would capture me and would torture me I would say yeah yeah it's it's bad uh, I'm scared but it, it's a great story so it, it, you know like Claudia von Planta when he was captured and he was in jail he found out a way to deal with that and then he said okay let's let's make a film out of it let's let's tell the story and I think if you have this concept of even in the worst situations you have to find just a little diamond of inspiration for a story, for a, for a film, for, for something to tell. Uh, I think then it's uh, way easier to, to cope with any situation in life. And I think we have this, this, this strange concept of being um, relaxed in this wellness state of life all the time, which doesn't make sense at all because that's not, that's not life and that's not reality. So reality now kicks in with a strange situation globally where everyone is scared about any kind of um, danger and viruses. But that's the case in a lot of countries anyway. So they have a lot of threats when it comes to their health system. And we were absolutely safe. So you were maybe you died at the age of 90, 90 plus. And in the meantime, life was 100% sure for most of us. And I, I think that's... That's strange in a way, uh, and, and I think that's that's dangerous as well to have this life concept of running away as soon as it gets uh, hot. So right. And just to, to let people know, Claudio von Planter, who you mentioned, is um, a mutual friend of both of ours. He's a documentary filmmaker, and he was your filmmaker on Chasing the Jetstream film. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. he puts himself in some really tricky situations in order to tell really important stories that... that that need to be told. Um, and how is this embracing your fear of heights and, and doing it in this such an extreme way, how has that helped other parts of your life? 
Yeah, I think it's even when I go on stage as a motivational speaker, I'm scared because you should be scared because that's such a such a precious moment. You you just have this 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a bit more, and you have to deliver. You have to deliver some new insights. You have to deliver great stories. You have to 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 make them laugh. You have to entertain them. It's a lot of pressure, and you should be a bit scared because it's such a. a an important moment, if you have one person alone standing on this stage, you really have to, to rock it because otherwise everyone says, who is, who is that guy? <laughs> what is he doing up there? So if, if you have this kind of pressure on you, then that really leads to good preparation, to uh, the, best, the best possible way you can be. And I think that's a gift at the end to, to have these this pressure moments in life when you can really dig down deep to your best self. And if you are in a relaxed state uh, in this wellness world, I think you, you, cannot, um, you cannot really take all your power and then deliver something special because it's, it's just this... Um, this average, average heartbeat moments. And I think we, we, we want to have some kind of in, interesting ride in our lives anyway. And is this what you're, are you on this journey? Are you on this journey of self-discovery and, and these extreme um, challenges a part of that? Yeah, you know, David. I, usually, I'm I'm challenged on a daily basis anyway. Uh, so because I have I have plenty of fears. Uh, I have two daughters. They're now grown up. But if when they tell me they go for um, just uh, just for for their own into Southeast Asia and they just um, uh, travel on their own, I say, "Are you sure that's a smart idea?" And then I'm and I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Even when they go out at night and they return at uh, three or four o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm worried. I'm scared. So uh, if you are changed on a daily basis uh, with your fears, then you can just really embrace them and say, okay, there, there are lots of fears out there. So just do your thing. Uh, even when you're scared, you can do the things with your fears. And uh, I think that's a more uh, adult way to deal with fear than just backing off all the time uh, mm. if something is a, a bit scary but it's a process it's a process and I, i'm i'm still on this journey and i'm far away of these uh, adrenaline driven junkies they need this fear and this uh, this action it's not the same for me because i have a lot of action anyway in my life and i suppose it's hard to tell your daughters not to go to southeast asia when their dad is jumping out of an airplane at 304 kilometers an hour yeah that's what what they tell me all the time they say Dad, just shut up. You have been up there in this extreme call. Just shut up. And I know they are, they are right because they have to experience um, life and adventure and everything on their own. It's, it's not, not the dad telling them, oh, stay at home, be safe. It's, it's, yeah. it's not how it works. What's it like to fly? I always wanted to fly because I think uh, to be able to fly is the real basic of Superman's wish. So because all these superheroes, they can fly and they can fly without any planes. They just they just take off and they fly. And that was my that was my core wish to, to be able to fly without any wings, without any machine, without any airplane around me. But I had a quite a long journey to to find this possibility to fly like that. So first of all, I started with gliding, uh, these planes without any uh, propeller in front. Then I was becoming an aerobatic pilot in, in gliding. I was flying small little um, single engine planes. And I discovered skydiving at the same time. And in skydiving, you have this moment um, when you stop flying informations and you have to fly away from each other. You track and you do that by just um, spreading or stretching your arms and legs and it starts flying forward. And that's an amazing moment because then you see, wow, I'm really accelerating. I'm flying. I'm flying like one of these comic heroes, like one of these super tail uh, fantasy thing. And that was the most amazing moment uh, in skydiving for me. It was always the last five seconds of free fall when we were flying away. And I said to myself, I should turn this around. I should fly like that 
from the beginning, from exit of the plane. I should, I should just fly. And the, the problem is that you cover a lot of distance there and you really fly like a bird. And the problem then is when you open your parachute, you're far off the, the track and far off the airfield and you do not find your way back home uh, most of the time because you're so far away. And that was absolutely mind-blowing for me to see. We are able to fly without wings if we have enough altitude uh, in the beginning and then we can just fly. And that was, that was like... A, revelation for me and did it actually how can i say did it actually spark something that you can be addicted to in a sense like is that feeling that adrenaline that rush that idea that feeling that you're flying is there anything that compares to it on on earth yeah yeah for, for me it's not 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 especially this uh, adrenaline thing it's more like this 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 view so the visibility, you have this image. Um, you can imagine yourself um, sitting on a 4,000 meter antenna. And then you have this 360 view of the world. You can see the, the airplane going away because you're dropping down. And you can see this, this panorama of blue sky, of landscape. And you're, you are there. It's like if you're a mountaineer, you want to go on the top every time because there the view is the best and it's a good story to say, ah, I've been up there on this peak. But you still are attached to the ground. You still have this ground around you. If you are in free fall at these altitudes, you are just, whoa, it's, it's this visibility, this, this view is so amazing. And uh, then if you add to that the feeling of flying, of being really free, being really weightless, and uh, you can you can change directions. You can fly like a bird, and it's so um, intuitive. You don't have to use any kind of manual. How can I steer? It, you just feel it. You, you fly like. I'm not sure if it's something that's really deep based in our genes because we still know how to fly. Uh, and but it's it's the most amazing feeling. But it's not so much um, about adrenaline. It's more about this sensation of flying of being free of having this view and i think that's that's the the greatest adventure you can have um especially because you're outdoors and you feel these elements you feel the wind and it's amazing even in a normal uh, skydive if you go on a tandem you have this 200 kilometers per hour rush of air in your face and you have this wobbling <laughs> face everything and that's fast uh, already but if you go in steep speed tracking the, the discipline i make then it's 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 about five six seven times more intense because you really become the jet yourself so you fly forward you see how you can fly over the landscape and you you are the jet yourself and it's you just maneuver maneuver yourself into turns just by your thoughts. You don't have to steer anything. You just say, mm, let's get go a bit right and it and the turn starts. And it's it's like in in a in a fairy tale. It's it's unimaginable. And you I cannot share it because I can't take anyone with me uh, because it's not allowed. So I would like to have everyone having this experience because it's so amazing. And I was raised with the concept of people cannot fly. We cannot fly. So that's point. But I never believed in that. Um, because I saw these birds taking off of our uh, little skyscraper in Switzerland and they were not really flying. They were just uh, dropping themselves down from the wall and they were just showing a bit of wings and that was enough to accelerate them forward. And I thought, I, I, should, I should be able to do the same because I have kind of two wings, small wings, but I still have two wings myself. So if you give me enough altitude, I should be able to fly. And that was really the sensation I had when I was a really small kid in, in kindergarten. And I knew I, I, one day I should be able to fly. Wow. Let me say, the way you've described that, I was excited. I actually, my heart was, was, was pumping. I mean, I, I can't imagine it. Where, so you were moving at 304 kilometers an hour. What is that, what is that like? Like, is that... Is that peaceful or is it do you feel the wind or are you traveling with the what, can you hear what do you hear what do you see yeah. what's that experience like yeah it, it, it's extremely loud um, because as i mentioned you, you usually you fall down at the rate of 200 kilometers if you accelerate um, then my own body 
is at 400 kilometers. And over the ground, I measured my speed over the ground and over the ground that was 304. But since that's my, my flight path, my flight path must be even faster. So I'm flying at 400 kilometers per hour. And the special thing is if you fly at these speeds, then the air pressure really becomes so intense and the, the noise is so loud. You literally feel yourself as a powered jet because that's the noise it makes. It's, it's, it's amazing. And if you break down to normal speeds, you think, oh, free fall must be over because now it's so quiet. But it's still, you're falling at 200 kilometers per hour. But when you fall with 400 kilometers per hour, the air pressure doesn't double, it's four times more. So it's it's really, if you make a tandem jump, just imagine four times more intense. So it's it's already intense, a tandem jump. But if you imagine four times more, that's that's really, um, it's mind-blowing. And it's it's kind of stressful as well because it's it puts such a lot of um, pressure on your head, on your helmet, on your visor. Uh, in the beginning, I was with, uh, flying with open um, helmets with just these uh, skydiver goggles. And then I had the problem when I was flying too fast, then the wind was blowing uh, under my goggles and my contact lenses just popped out at the same time. And I couldn't see anything at all, <laughs> except the, the, the contact lenses, because I cannot see too far. And I said, oh, my contact lenses must be out. So I'm more or less blind now for the landing, which is a great thing. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. And the... The fear, I mean, bringing it back to how we open the discussion, is the fear at the moment before you have jumped or fallen or however you actually <laughs> leave the vessel or is the fear as you're flying or is the fear when you're on the ground thinking about what's going to happen in the air or how are the different emotions? As, as long as I'm on the ground, I'm absolutely fine. I'm safe. Uh, when I enter the plane, then, then it's changing a bit. But when the airplane is taking off, then fear kicks in because I know what all could happen at takeoff, like with engine failure and problems with the winds. And, so. and then um, in climb, uh, I'm more or less fine again until the door opens. And when the door opens, there's really this cold air rushing in. I, say, <clears throat> I have to jump now. And the moments before you jump, then you, you realize that now everything should be in place. Everything must be perfect because otherwise I will die. And I have always this, this moment before jumping. I think I, I, I could sit in the plane. I just could quit. I could just sit down having the best time of my life, not jumping. And then I jump. And in the moment, as soon as you are in free fall, all the fears are gone. Because you feel so silent, you feel so, you feel so supported by the air pressure. It's not this sensation of falling down. You have this air pressure. You do not see the earth coming up against you. Even if you're falling at, at a high speed, then everything is stable. And you, you have this sensation of, wow, I'm flying. And you, there's no place for fear because you just love it. It's, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's not this adrenaline. It's really this, this, this the, the pure beauty of, of your view and the sensation of being able to fly. And then if you go into a steep dive to, to accelerate, then there's a bit of fear coming in again because it's really it's, it's accelerating, accelerating. It gets not too stable. You have to really take care not to flip over. Uh, you have to take care not to break down. So it's... Um, it's quite challenging and you really have to, to want to be fast. You really well, must be in this hawk attack position and you have to keep it. And that's a kind of a stressful moment, but it's, it's uh, funny as well. It's, it's really, it's, it's a good rush. Then. That, then there is a real rush coming in. I have no idea how you do it. I'm certain I could never do it. I've had one experience of bungee jumping at mm -hmm. 43 meters and it was a total disaster. They, they told me, you know, they gave you all the instructions beforehand, like put your chin in. And, but as soon as I left, everything went from my mind. I was so scared and yelling. And you know what happened? I actually almost blocked it from my memory. I remember like arriving at the ground and just, I just forgot what happened in those past few minutes. It was, it was horrifying. It was, it, I was like, it was really, so you must, I imagine, have a very strict um, 
physical and mental preparation. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for me, the mental preparation was uh, really essential because I had always uh, these two weeks of training and then sometimes months of no jumping. And if you go back into skydiving again, and if you're not prepared uh, mentally, then it, it's, everything is new again. So I had to prepare myself at home. Uh, I was really going through the whole process of being in the airplane, uh, going to the door and then let you go. And uh, what, what are you doing in midair? And if you prepare yourself, uh, like you see, sometimes you see this uh, ski um, competition drive. They, they really go into the track. Down. It's, it's what you do as a preparation. And then you are way more relaxed because you know what, what is happening and you are trained for that. Even if you have not been in the air, uh, you are trained and you are ready uh, for, for doing that. Is that sort of like positive affirmations? Do you, do you actually play the the scene out in your mind and you play it out successfully and you see yourself having a, a successful jump is that is that part of that yeah that's that's one part to, to have this um, image of a successful jump but the other one is uh, you have to be prepared for stress if you have a malfunction if you have a bad opening of your parachute you have to be able to cut off you have to be able to to release your um, uh, rever uh, reserve parachute and if you train that on a on a constant basis, then you are a, a bit more ready for a stressful situation. Uh, they, they can appear and they will appear, yeah. for sure. And do you use things like meditation or mindfulness or do you do other sort of um, mental approaches yeah. for this? That, that's what I practice, but more on a... On a um, on a health um, basis, not to improve any kind of skills, just to have a moment of, of free time, of no brain ideas, uh, new ideas coming in, just to have a, a relaxation uh, on the ground. And I do that by imagining myself some small items, like, uh, like a fork or like a spoon or something, and I really try to focus on that, on that specific form. And because I'm trained doing that, it's, it's uh, pretty easy to get into that uh, calm state of mind because my uh, full attention is down to this knife, to this spoon. And I really imagine on a visual side what that looks like. And that gives no space for other ideas or for other thoughts uh, rushing in all the time because that's what they do. They, they just rush in all the time. All yeah. So, sorry, I'm just curious, just so I've got it right because I'm genuinely interested. Eyes closed, imagining a fork, or are you actually looking at a fork and looking at the no, data? No, you, yeah, no, you, you just imagine it. That's the beauty in it. You can do it everywhere. If you're sitting in a plane, if you're sit, uh, just sitting in a park, you just close your eyes. You just imagine your special item. And it's uh, smart to use all the time the same item because then you are trained uh, watching this uh, item in your inner eye. And then it's, it's really becoming a kind of a familiar training to have this meditation time and it's um, the access to this meditation state is way faster if you're trained in that and it's it's really hard to um, to keep this um, to keep this imagination alive for a long time because usually the, the thoughts are just waiting for a, for a moment <laughs> Let's get in because it's stupid uh, just to imagine a, a fork or something. It's really stupid. So my thoughts are stronger. And they think they think they are stronger. And they try their best to to penetrate my mind. And uh, so that's why the training is needed to have this constant view on your own item. So interesting. And you've been doing that for many years. And is that a daily practice that you do? Yeah, it's about seven years, seven eight years now. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not always daily and the problem is um, I would like to have access to this technology or to this uh, uh, thing when I'm struggling to fall asleep but then I am absolutely not able to to do that because I'm too tired to have this concentration and then there all these thoughts are coming in anyway so it's a it's a good thing to have it in, in a daily uh, life routine but in bed if I if I don't fall asleep as I would like to uh, then I cannot get access to that so I have to still train for the next 20-30 years I think yeah well it's so interesting before we move on to some some new discussion points um I just wanted I mean you you uh you weren't just jumping for fun you weren't just jumping for the adrenaline and the, and the thrill 
you were also um, putting attention on the jet stream as an alternate energy um, source. So that's something that, I mean, for me, I had not heard of the jet stream before watching your film. And I mean, obviously, you know, I know of wind and solar as potential um, energy sources, but the jet stream is something particular. And I think I may have said it in the introduction, apparently if it can be harnessed 20 times the world's energy can be can be obtained from the, from the jet stream. Can you just tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, the, the concept is um, usually we have these ground-based windmills and they are limited uh, in their ra- radius because the, the wings, they are now at their limits, more or less. You cannot produce them longer. And the idea is to make them as long as possible to reach this higher um, this higher. Uh, atmosphere where there's stronger winds and we ha- we know that from experience if we start a kite then it's a hard uh, it's a hard thing in the beginning you have to run and as soon as the kite is up at its um, uh, levels then it's get it's getting easy because uh, there the winds are and everything is fine so the idea is to get as high as possible with ground-based windmills but since there are limits it would be smart to get higher and there are now concepts. There are a lot of um, startups. Uh, even in Switzerland, we had these uh, three startups. Uh, they, we found them in Switzerland, but they are on a global scale. There are about uh, 20 startups investigating in that possibility of bringing the high altitude wind power down to Earth. With Usually they use a, a kind of kite. And um, the most prominent concept is to have a kite that really pulls and because the, the kite is pulling, you can use this power on a ground-based reel. So the, the kite is attached with the tether and this reel is turning like a dynamo uh, as soon as it, you have this pull force. And as soon as, as you have this uh, high altitude, then the kite is really pulled with a strong force. And the higher you go, the more energy you can bring down. So exa- uh, for example, if you double the, high, the speed of wind, you get eight times more energy out of it. So it makes just sense to go up there. And it's not so annoying like the, the ground-based windmills. If you live under one of these guys, I think it would be really, really a pity, really a shame to live there. But, but if you go high enough, then it's, then it's becoming something beauty again because you don't hear it. You just see a small dot maybe circling around and producing electricity instead of having a, a diesel generator, uh, which is annoying as well. And I will um, put a link to Chasing the Jetstream, the film, um, below this podcast, so people can, if they like, go and, go and watch the film. I highly recommend it. It's a very interesting film on two sides, I guess, because it looks at your own adventure as far as um, jumping in the jet stream, but it also really highlights this, what must be the future. I mean, it really, it, 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 mm-hmm. is that how you see it? Is it not if, but when that we access a jet stream for power? Yeah, I think just, jet stream is just one idea. The idea was uh, to bring attention to high altitude winds in general. And jet stream is just, uh, just uh, the best opportunity we could get because the jet stream, especially in Australia, they are predictable in wintertime. If you go into the center of Australia, you just have a, a broad band of jet stream, not all day, but, but more or less every day. And if you have a concept of reaching as high as possible, then you go into the jet stream. And it could be possible. And we, we, we show that in the film that 100 years ago, they reached these altitudes with, with simple kites. And you can reach altitudes of jet stream um, above six, seven, eight, nine thousand meters. That's not a problem. It shouldn't be a problem nowadays when they when they managed that 100 years ago. So now we, we should be able to do that as well. But it's just one solution. And I think at the end, we, we, we must have a, a mixture of different solutions uh, because the energy is there. We have waves, we have sun, we have the wind, we have th- um, geothermal, we have, we have everything. Everything is here and everything must be here, of course. And it's, it's just stupid to burn fossil fuels. Well, well we needed millions of years to create that and we burn it in 100 years, which, which is not a sustainable concept anyway. So we need 
we desperately need new ideas and we need new concepts and usually i get the answer oh that's it, it sounds like science fiction and it's not realistic and it's too expensive whatever it is but we need these new solutions because the other solutions they are running out yeah and that's that's a clear fact and we have all these problems with uh, wars not only co2 and global wars but with wars with, with destruction with pollution with it we have to find new solutions anyway and uh, if there's another solution uh, which is more prominent and more profitable and better yes let's get into this direction but i think at the end we need all, all these different possibilities all these different new solutions to solve the problem um Technology, I'm assuming that technology plays a big part in your life and particularly in these um, extreme speeds that you're reaching, you need to rely on very precise um, equipment and you need to make sure that, like it literally is a matter of life and death, that your equipment works, is strong, is properly calibrated and so forth. What's your relationship with technology? On the one hand, I see your passion for the outdoors and the, and, and, and the nature. And the other side, you must um, you know, rely on, on, on it for, for your life in some sense. Can you talk to that? Yeah, I think that, uh, that nowadays technology is so approachable. You can just buy everything. And uh, uh, for example, a GPS. I was not using one GPS, but I had six or seven, I'm not sure, six or seven GPS devices on my body to measure the speed, only the speed. And there were the cameras, 360 degrees and everything. It's, it's amazing the access we have to, to latest standard technology. Even with a small budget, we can just have amazing things. And I, I think that's a, that's a fantastic thing to have because um, 20, 30 years ago, it was only possible for for really professionals to, to just record uh, any kind of speed in midair. And nowadays you can just buy a, a small little item. Uh, all our uh, iPhones, our GPS uh, devices, uh, uh, GPS are everywhere. And I think that's, a, that's a, a wonderful development. And it's interesting to, to record your things, to, to measure. And, um, but I think it should be, it should be that, that you use these kind of tools to make the world a better place in any way. So, so if you just do it for, for entertainment, it's, I think it's a bit of nonsense because who cares at the end anyway how fast I travel uh, in midair? It, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, if, <laughs> to, to be honest, because yeah, no one tries it anyway. So it's, mm, so it's a world record, but... Uh, What's the competition? No one does it. So it's, uh... <laughs> but I, I guess with the technology, I was more thinking, you know, obviously we're, we're moving at such a rate that, and mm. that I was, when I was again watching your film um, in preparation for this chat, the thing that came to me was I was thinking about self-driving cars, actually. Mm. And I started to think about trust and the fact that you must have to trust your technology and in the future and the very near future humans are going to have to if we embrace technology the way that it's predicted actually trust cars with no humans driving them to to get us from a to b but to get us from a to b safely and you seem like the perfect person to ask about this in your you know in your experience this sort of this relationship between human life and human decisions and human thoughts and feelings and emotions and technology. I think there is one uh, really important thing that comes from aviation. If you see all these accidents happening, it's most of the time it's human error. It's not the plane, it's not the weather, it's not the engine, it's, it's just the pilot sitting in this airplane and messing it up. So if you can avoid having too, too much of this human factor in a, in a process, I think that really makes things safer. That's bad for all our all pilots in the world. It's bad for all these car-driven uh, petrol heads. But if you take away the, the human factor, it gets much safer in general. And 
but it's it's kind of sad because I, I love to fly my on my own. I love to drive on my own. Um, and as soon as I have to give control over to machines, I think now we are lost. Now we are lost. But we are not. If you see, if you just see the um, the numbers, if you just see the accidents happening with all the the different assistant uh, things we have, then then it's clear. And usually we just we just focus on one accident. If if a Google car is driving um, uh, driverless and it's crashing into someone, so, oh, now you see, you should drive this car on your own, of course, because we are so much better than than a machine. But that's not true. We just focus on one incident and then we say, okay, now now we see it's it's too dangerous. But that's not true. In the same time, we have I think it's still more than one million people killed on streets because people are driving it not because machines are killing us it's it's human factor and i think we we should aim to a place where we can reduce human factor in in these environments and i'm sure it will be a time um, not too far from now maybe 20 30 years when we sit in planes and we are happy not to have a pilot in command because this pilot he can have a bad day he can be drunk he can be suicidal the machine usually is not one of these and uh, i think it will just be a shift and change in our mindset to have this um, this trust in in uh, mobility in automated uh, mobility and i'm sure it, there will be a city in the near future probably in china where they decide we only allow self-driven cars no human behind the wheel so and then it will work fine because all these different machines they will interact together i think the problem is now the shift when we have still petrol heads and we have some machines and so they do not interact very well yeah i think the try i mean it, it is about trust we are human and we have this probably intrinsic trust of other humans and we have this idea of technology malfunctioning um, mm. but perhaps we're not going too well ourselves as a, as a human species <laughs> we're doing a, a lot of malfunctioning ourselves it's a very interesting thing I mean I, I I'm fearful of losing humanity in, 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 in everything somehow I don't know how that's happened my filmmaking has led me to be surrounded by electronics but mm. um, yeah, I think I think I think that's the that's the other side, and um, it's a really it's a great danger to come at the at the point when we really lose control over the machines, because if you when you are talking about artificial intelligence, if you just feed a machine with all the ingredients necessary for good life on the planet, I think that our artificial intelligence will will immediately find that the big problem, the big trouble on this globe is humanity. And we, we, sh we should get rid of people on the globe because then everything would flourish. And if you have this real artificial intelligence, it's hard to teach them that even if we are the big problem on the globe, you should keep us alive. Because if you optimize a, a, a system um, when you say, okay, what's the best for our uh, city? What's the best for our nature? And it's, it's always the same. It's always the big problem is, is mankind. And uh, so I think that's a huge danger uh, of, the, of the next development, just to teach them, right, not to kill us. You're challenging me on many levels here, Mark. I'm not sure if you understand this. I mean, I, I, absolutely. The way we're heading is... Um, putting a lot of questions on the table and it's really interesting I'm, in, for this podcast I've spoken to a wide range of people really coming from different different directions different backgrounds different angles and um, it's fair to say you're not the first person to to discuss this that the direction and the negative is due to us the world was doing pretty fine before uh, before we came now it would be it would be crazy for me to not ask you we're talking about fear we're talking about trust we're now in a global pandemic as much as i don't want this podcast to focus on covid19 i'd be curious to hear what your thoughts were about different approaches that countries are taking and 
not so much that, more maybe the individual to do with fear and how fear um, perhaps impacts our decision-making and thought process in this, in this time. Yeah. Uh, I tend, now I tend to not using the words COVID or Corona. I just speak about the, the C word because I'm so tired. I'm so tired of all these headlines, all these breaking news of this bloody C word. And I think uh, one of the, the, the problems is that we are more and more scared of, um, of a deadly of a deadly spread, deadly disease, of course, but we are more and more scared. And I'm not sure how people in developing countries are reacting on that because they have plenty of, of threats in their life. They have malaria, they have dengue fever, they have uh, whatever is already erased now in our countries. And now there is Corona popping up as maybe the number seven or number eight threat to them. For us, it's the only, it's the only health threat. And we are making such a mess, such a, such a stress as well. And it makes sense for us, of course, uh, because we have to take care. We do not know the outcome, but we, we are in this state of fear and everyone is scared. And I'm not sure if that is creating way more harm at the end than the actual illness itself. And th that's a problem we, we had before. Uh, if you see this um, the, the problem of the Cold War, when we were scared that um, these, these two nations could erase themselves with a the nuclear power, that was a real problem, a real threat. But the actual horror scenarios of, happen of that happening was creating harm as well. And at the end, it was, uh, until now, uh, touch wood, it, it, was, it was fine. We were in, in this um, balance of not killing ourselves with uh, atomic bombs. And maybe it's the same with the, with the virus, with the next disease, because that will not be the, the only one. Now it's called COVID-19. What about number 20, 21, whatever. So it's, it, there will be next men killers out there. And how can we react to that? And I'm not sure if it's uh, the best way to just to concentrate all our efforts to just one threat, because all the other ones, they are in the background now. Uh, so global warming, uh, let's deal about that when, when we have this COVID problem uh, under control. But it's still developing. We have other problems. We have uh, all this, this poverty raising now. We have these millions of people depending on their jobs. They, they just don't have any kind of support from their government. I do have kind of support. I know I will not uh, die. I'm still fat enough to survive six months without food. No problem for me at all. No problem. But... If you see the, the global situation, it's, it's not that, that case. And I'm not sure if we are uh, dealing in the right way with that. And it's, it's sometimes it's really hard if you see these numbers raising on a daily basis and you, you really cover this news. Oh, now it's, now it's really getting dangerous. What's the benefit at the end of that? Just to be on track of all new horrible developments. What's, what's the sense in that? I just, I'm not sure if we are on the... On a, on a good way now. Yeah, uh, I have all the concerns that you have for this. I think that, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think for, for a lot of us, um, including where I am in Australia, it's almost the first time that we've been forced to face our own mortality. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's scaring the living shit out of us that something that we used to see on the television in a country far, far away and we could just turn our back and ignore it, is now on our doorstep. And I think that the response, it, look, to be honest, it's really unclear. I think the future is really going to be the only way that we're going to look back. But, but um, I definitely think that fear was at such a... My own personal view on this is that the world changed September 11. And since then, fear has just gone up and up and up and up. Where every it, it was terrorism, and then it and, and and everyone was just you know ready. It was a, a, a tinderbox of of fear waiting for for something. And and COVID nineteen was the the match that was that was lit. Mm -hmm. And 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 everything has come to to the surface. But 
why are we so scared? Where is this fear, in your opinion, come from? How, how have, why have we got to this stage? I think because we, we just live in this security bubble. We created ourselves, especially here in Switzerland and in the, in the Western states and in the rich states, where we have all these insurances for, for all these things that could happen. And life still is happening. So there's cancer around. You can have a heart attack. You can have a terminal illness. You can just have an accident. You, it, so life was always more or less dangerous anyway but now it's really obvious you could die of that but you could point another problem you could point um let's say in africa you could point hiv it's not a problem anymore here but in the beginning in the 80s i remember that uh, uh, so hiv was a real threat we, we thought okay we will all die now uh, because of having sex unprotected so now we need these condoms and HIV is not a problem here anymore for us, usually. Um, but if you go to other countries, and that, that's what I wonder myself, uh, how you deal with that, David, if you have this experience from really poor countries, and you now compare that with the reaction of Australia to, uh, uh, to this threat of COVID, how can you, how can you deal with these uh, two uh, emotions? Me personally, and I think it's really interesting because I take risks in a different way than you, but I take risks. I choose to take mm -hmm. risks. I go places where I don't have authorization because you can't get authorization because you're basically trying to reveal human rights abuses and, and, and things like this. And mm -hmm. you accept that a risk is, uh, unfortunately, a necessary part of what you are doing. So I always say that I'm silly, but I'm not stupid in the sense that I'll take silly risks, but I won't take stupid risks. I, 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 I manage the risks, risks, or at least I do that to the best of my ability, but you, you, you can't use Fear, if you, if you go into it scared, if you go into it with fear, you will just actually make the, the situation more dangerous for yourself and for, for others, potentially. You need to really be, be strong. And when I look at the, a lot of the global responses, particularly where I am in, in Victoria and where we've been locked down for the vast majority of the last six months in one of the longest, if not the longest, lockdowns um, in the world, most severe, most strict, and it, we're not really sure when, when we're going to come out of it. And, but the, the thing that is different is that this virus is the contagious aspect of it, in the sense that when I'm by myself making a film, I take a risk for myself or perhaps myself and who is with me. But in this instance, I have to be actually much more part of a, of a collective of a whole, of a community, of my society, of my neighbours, of, of people that I'm around. So um, I can absolutely see how that's also added to, to fear because not only do we not want to get sick ourselves, we don't want to um, make other people, other people sick. Um, but uh, don't you think that uh, sometimes if you compare our situations without threats a bit like an overreaction if you compare that to really poor countries with all the threats they are handling and dealing with and we we just have this this COVID problem as our single one problem it looks like uh, don't you think it's it's a bit ridiculous for them to to see us reacting on on a uh, yeah, on a situation like that what i feel is this in the majority of my films i've been filming where even if um health issues weren't the central part of the story because most places where I film are underdeveloped in places of suffering and so forth health is very much an issue and I've got malaria myself at one stage they thought I had tuberculosis I've been filming with people with chronic kidney disease I've been filming on the most toxic um, place on the planet in Ghana in West Africa number two is Chernobyl and I make these films and no one really cares about them. And now we have a virus that could actually affect us and our care is so great that we lock ourselves in our apartment for six months. Yeah, so 
it's a very, it's tricky. And I'm finding it even more tricky to actually have these discussions because it, it, one, they've turned so political, but the other is you can be accused of not caring in a yeah, sense yeah. where most of the time the absolute opposite is the case. I, I care just as much for mental health and, and for other diseases as I do for, for, for this. It's a very tricky, very tricky situation. Yeah. Yeah. But and you know, you know, for me as a, as a motivational speaker, it's interesting because um, before this crisis, I was invited to speak at events. And then um, the organizers, they, they told me, you know, uh, for us, life is so secure and you are living the dangerous life. Now you have to tell everyone how that is. But now everyone is in this danger. <laughs> everyone is exposed to, 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 to having this risk. So, so, so what, I'm, what I'm doing on the stage is senseless now just to talk about risk. So you, you might be out of a job soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 anyway, at this, at this stage, I'm, uh, I'm really uh, shut down because all these events um, in, in the global scale are shut down or just on, on online events, which is not the same as being on stage in front of a crowd. And I'm not sure if my job, if this part of my job will come back um, soon. And I have my doubts because I think even in 21, we will still be in this situation yeah. for a long time of next yeah. year. So, yeah. I want to finish up um, by actually quoting yourself in just one sentence that, that, uh, that you wrote to me. My goal is to die one day completely used up and empty. Mm. Can you tell me what that means and what you hope your life and the legacy that you will you'll uh, leave behind you. Yeah, I think we, we will all die one day. But the the difference between a fulfilled life and a, a conserved life is your attitude of uh, facing things. And I think nowadays we have this problem of 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 the uh, the, the wellness idea and this uh, protection idea and and. To, to not harm anyone, not with language, not with your ideas, not with, uh, not with strange concepts. That's, that's really strange because at the end, one day when we die, I would not like to have many options left to do because then it would be a great regret because I would, they would say, no, why didn't I, why didn't I try to help? these guys? Why didn't I change the world a bit? Because I had the opportunity. So I think we should go all full in. And I think if you have this concept of going full in in your life, then that's really satisfying. Even if, if it, it doesn't work, if, even if it's a failure, if, even if, if you break down, <laughs> dying will be the ultimate breakdown anyway. And we will face that. Every one of us will face that. But the question is, what, what did you do? before breaking down, before dying. And that's what counts. And not, oh, I'm in the best state I could be. Now I die. So I, that's, that's completely bullshit because I think we should really use our gifts. We should use our minds. We should use our strengths, our, our networks, our, our possibilities. And we should really use them up completely. And then at the end, when we die, we can just say, oh, there was nothing left anyway. So... Dying is not just a little small step further, and, and I'm fine. And I would like to be in a state where, where I really feel this pain of having lived the fullest, because then I'm ready to die. And I see the, the opposite concept. I see this concept of, oh, healthy nutrition, no alcohol, no smoking, uh, no harm to yourself, no, no viruses, and, and keep everything fine. And then at the end, you say, why should I die now? So because I protected myself as much as I could. Now I have to die. That's the real problem then. Because why should you die? You, everything, was, everything was organized to not die at the end. And it will not work. I'm sure it will not work. So I, I, I use the, the different approach just to, just to live full, just to bring in all. Really, this all-in concept should should be re reinvented for us. And I think we can have these role models of, of people not taking too much care about themselves, 
but maybe others, maybe the environment, maybe the, the progression, whatever, but not about always themselves and protect themselves of, of a harmful language, of, of swearing, of, oh, I am offended of that. No, you should be offended by anything. Sure, you, you are grown up. And if you have these swearing beeps in the American films, I think that's one of the most ridiculous things you can have. Because at the end, you must have beeps on every strange idea. And I'm tired of that. I think really we should change our mindset and really live the fullest we can. And at the end, we are so close to death. And so it's not a big deal. Just, just one step and then fine. So that's my concept. It's really interesting stuff. It's super interesting. Um, it's inspiring for me. It tells me not things that perhaps I didn't know, but it, it reconfirms things that, that I've thought about a lot and including risk. Um, when I think about almost anything that I look back and I'm proud of in the sense of an not so much an achievement, but a project that I've done or something, risk was involved in every single one of them. Fear was involved in every single one of them. Facing a difficult situation was involved in every single one of them. And I think that yeah. that's the only way to create something good or great. And it's character building absolutely to, to, to face your fears. And as you said right at the start, not to combat your fears, but to continue to, to face them. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this chat and I'm sure people will you know, be inspired by your actions, your words, and um, I don't know, maybe we'll see a few more flyers in the air after this. Uh, I'd love to, I'd, I, I mean, I'm absolutely <laughs> petrified of heights, um, but the way you yeah. described flying, I couldn't help but think that could be a, an absolute marvelous thing to do before I die. Yeah, you know, David, now I'm changing the subject to, and we will go down um, below the water so we will be in underwater situations and we want to make a new film now with all the possibilities how we can bring out energy out of the water and we will combine that with a new way of world record of free divers. So I'm really changing now the, the subject. I'm not, not um, too much in the air anymore, but uh, underwater. And that's the next thing. And I think it's that's maybe one thing I would like to, to give your um, audience as well is if, if we can manage to have a life like a novel, if we can tell a story, if, if the life itself would be a, a storytelling thing, I think this could be a nice approach as well. And if you ask yourself if you would like to read the novel of your own life, and then you must shout out, no, I wouldn't because it's so boring, then you really need this attitude of creating a new chapter. Even if it's the last chapter, you can write a new chapter, which is interesting. If it's risky, even better. If you, if you really fuck it up, it's great because then you have a great story. <laughs> and, but just, just being so careful and not risking anything, it's, it's usually not the stuff uh, how novels are written. And I think most of us, they will regret not, not, not having taken more risks in their life. Yeah. And so I think you're on a, you're on a great path. And uh, I am in this regard, I am as well. And uh, for sure, I will live to the end when I can say now I'm completely used up if I get enough time. Wow. For and it would be, it would, uh, it's only appropriate that I ask the question, what's the working title of your life novel? What's your life going to be called? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure yet. It's usually hard to find names for your own projects. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I think the one concept is I, I underestimate everything. I really, that's a, that's a concept as well. So if someone t tells me a story, I think, oh, that's great. And if they ask me, would you like to join? I say, yes, because I do underestimate um, all the risks. I do not calculate everything through. I'm not the business, um, the, the business plan maker, because I think if you really do business plans in, a, in adventures, you will back off. Because <laughs> usually it doesn't make too much sense to, to go on, a, on an uncertain journey. And I think that 
That's a concept as well. If you just see the positive side, it's naive. It's absolutely naive. But that's what, what you need if you are a real explorer. And you, if you have to uh, discover new grounds, you must go into directions where you think, yeah, it, it, it could work at the end. It could work. And that's far away of a good business plan. It's just, just it could, could work. I'm just a positive mindset. But I think that's, that's funny as well. So, and that's a, a real interesting thing as well to have um, fun in your explorations. And anyway, I think life is ridiculous. And if we can just put some adventure in, some fun, some ridiculous stuff, then it, it, it really gets this, this nice mix, mixture of an interesting life. And it could be a novel, it could be a last chapter in your life. And that's, I think it's never too late to change the direction in your life. Awesome. I needed to hear that. I take life way too seriously sometimes. So thanks, <laughs> thanks Mark, for your time and your stories and your adventures and telling us about, you know, also the, the wind um, energy as a source. And again, I'll put a link to, to Chasing the jet stream um, with the chat. So thanks again for your time. Great. Well, it was a great honor, David. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Many thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and go to aliminalspace.earth to access all episodes available as both video and audio podcasts. But for now, many thanks again and see you next time in Aliminal Space. Mm-hmm.